0: Well, it lacked any, uh, it had heat, but that was it. There was no air conditioning. Yeah. It had no way to regulate humidity uh-huh. or, you know, deal with the heat. It just got really hot in there in the summer months <laughs> and wild fluctuations and wow. climactic conditions are just really very hard, especially with a large part of the collection that's wood and leather.
1: You heard that there. That's the Studebaker Museum's archivist, Andy Beckman, describing some of the reasons why the museum had to move into a new home in 2005. You'll hear all about that next, but first, welcome to Round the Bend Now and Then, a podcast that shines a light on the South Bend and Mishawaka areas past and present. Through interviews with local business owners, leaders, and community members, our listeners and I learn together about all of the great people and great things going on in our community, as we also learn about South Bend and Mishawaka's history and how intertwined our past is with our present. On this week's episode, we try another first. I recorded an entire interview on-site, away from my basement studio. I felt that that would be the best way to authentically shine a spotlight on one of the South Bend and Mishawaka area's gems, the Studebaker Museum. I met with archivist Andy Beckman and he was so gracious with his time, sharing some history behind the museum and highlighting all of the great things that it has to offer. We met in his office first, where I asked him some questions about the history behind the Studebaker Museum and its various homes over the years until it landed in its final destination in 2005 at 201 Chapin Street, South Bend, Indiana, 46601. We then hit the museum floor, and Andy describes to us some of the wonderful exhibits, beautiful cars, one-of-a-kind pieces, and tons of historical information telling the story of Studebaker. Now, please know that this episode is not a deep dive into the origins and history of Studebaker, but just know that pretty much everything we discuss and the museum displays that Andy tells us about never would have been there if a few brothers with the last name Studebaker didn't decide to open a blacksmith and wagon building shop in South Bend, Indiana, almost 175 years ago. So hopefully, after listening to the episode... You'll hop up, get in your car, and take the family to the gem that is the Studebaker Museum. Next, before we dive into the museum itself, I ask Andy to tell us a little bit about himself. First, Andy, thank you so much for for joining me on on the podcast. And just for, I just want to spread the good word about the Studebaker Museum. I just think that uh, it's a gem in our community and I want to highlight it. Well, thanks for having me and looking forward to our conversation. Today. for sure, for sure. Um, you want to introduce yourself and just provide a little bit of a background on on your uh, kind of your career and how you ended up working here? Sure.
0: Uh, I'm Andrew Beckman. I mm-hmm. am the archivist at the Studebaker National Museum, I'm mm-hmm. just in the West Washington Historic District in downtown South Bend. Mm-hmm. I've been at the museum for, gosh, pushing twenty four a little over twenty four years wow. now. Wow. And hailed from Manitowoc, Wisconsin, uh, to a family of Studebaker owners, and
1: uh, you know, been around Studebakers for most of my entire life. Wow! What did the museum? Is that what you got? Brought you to South Bend, Indiana?
0: Yeah, they were looking uh, for some additional staff members uh-huh. back around 1999, and uh, it, wow, I applied. They hired me, and the rest, as they say, is, is history. history. Yeah.
1: So, from your parents owning Studebakers, it kind of sparked a little love, and then and then you <laughs> applied here and started working here, huh?
0: Yeah, my training, uh, formal training, my degrees in history and okay. got some postgraduate work at the mm-hmm. uh, Modern Archives Institute at the National Archives in Washington, D.C., Okay, and also some other, uh, more conservation, more hands-on training at the Campbell Center for Historic Preservation wow. Studies in Mount Carroll, Illinois. Uh-huh. Unfortunately, that school is no longer there. Uh, Beloit College of Beloit, Wisconsin has okay. uh, kind of taken the reins for some of their coursework there, uh-huh. but uh, yeah, been here for 24 years and it's wow. it's been a wonderful time.
1: That's cool. Next, Andy describes the origins of the Studebaker Museum. Uh speaking of being here for 24 years, uh, when when you look into the history of the Studebaker Museum, there's been they've uh, it's been quite the journey <laughs> before ending up here in the, the little museum district. It's just crazy how it evolved over the years at the different locations. You want to talk about that at all? Or yeah, sure. I really the collection, uh-huh. the company's
0: Vehicle collection began when Clem Studebaker acquired the Lincoln Carriage, the carriage President Lincoln took to Ford's Theater the night of his assassination back Uh in the late 1880s. A couple years later, it was joined by the carriage the Marquis de Lafayette took on his tour of America in 1824. And from there, the Studebakers began really uh, establishing their own museum. They formalized a permanent museum in their new administration building in 1916. Okay. And by the time the company closed in South Bend, the collection numbered about 37 vehicles plus the corporate archives, which was given to the city in 1966.
1: One thing that I found in my research of the Studebaker Museum is that it took years for it to have a final home. It bounced around from place to place and was a frequent topic of conversation in the newspaper. Folks are passionate about Studebaker, So they're also passionate about preserving Studebaker. We talk about that next. That's about how far my research went back to was after Studebaker closed, just through newspapers and stuff like that. And it was originally that those cars were originally housed in the Studebaker administration building, which turned out being the South Bend Schools administration building.
0: It's been in any number of places. Uh, the old Waterworks building where Century Center sits now uh-huh. for a while was out at the old Drury Complex yeah. on Elwood Street up there. Uh-huh. And it really had, I would say, its first modern home as part of Discovery Hall at Century Center, which opened in 1977. Yep. And Discovery Hall was great, but uh-huh. it was just, they ran out of room almost as soon as the door opened. So they began looking for more space. They moved... Uh, some vehicles and uh, displays into the former Freeman Spicer building mm-hmm. uh, which later became the more or less uh
1: the museum. The right? museum. Yeah.
0: Uh, they moved out of Discovery Hall in early nineteen nineties, but we knew the Freeman Spicer building. It's you know, it had great history. Of course uh-huh. it was South Bend's dealership. Uh, but it was not the structure was just not suitable for a long term home for the museum and that led yeah. us to build our we still call it the new facility, but you know, going back <laughs> Gosh, almost 18 years now, but um, opened at the corner of Washington and Chapin in 2005 Uh with 55,000 square feet of uh, climate-controlled comfort to display our, our artifacts and holdings.
1: He mentioned the Freeman Spicer building there. That was definitely an old building, and it was not suited to house a museum with priceless artifacts. It was located at 530 South Lafayette Boulevard, right near the intersection of Lafayette and South Street. Next, Andy explains why the old building just wasn't suited to house a museum. There was some drama back when they were, uh, when the, when it was stored in the Freeman Spicer, I read some articles, just, it was tough to, to maintain the collection in there. And there was a, there was one article, councilmen toured the building and they were in an uproar that, that, all this collection was was not being um, uh, house right and all that stuff, and so that just kind of added to the reasons to to, to move here. What were some of the things that that um, the environment in that old building that was just not conducive to?
0: Well, it lacked any. Uh, it had heat, but that was it. There was no air conditioning. It had no way to regulate humidity uh-huh. or you know deal with the heat. It just got really hot in there in the summer months. <laughs> And wild fluctuations and wow. Climactic conditions are just really very hard, especially with a large part of the collection that's wood and leather. Yes. Uh, it sucks in all the moisture in the yep. summer months and then it all gets sucked out again in the, as you get to the drier months and it, it just wreaks havoc on those artifacts. But oh. Thankfully, you know, our new home is more than adequate to provide the proper climate controls for invaluable right. pieces.
1: Oh, I'm sure. God, yeah, with just those articles they were they were just talking about during the drama on where to find the new spot. It was basically, look, every year that we hold out in finding a new place is, is a year less that these cars are kept in good, you know, not just cars, but like you said, the leather and stuff like that. A part of the Studebaker Museum's mission is to be a center for the interpretation of history, design, and innovation that connects and inspires the community and enthusiasts around the world. We talk about the global aspect of, of it next i read an article in 1988 um and they were already outgrowing the the freeman spicer building and scott miller was the president of the studebaker club and he said that it's an internet and as soon as they moved into the freeman spicer it was very popular and there that means they almost already had to, to move um and he said, it's an international phenomenon. It's much bigger than anybody would have guessed. He believed that one day it will only be second to Notre Dame as South Bend's biggest tourist attraction. They'll come from all over the world to visit. While, You know, he said that 20, 30 years ago. Um, you do have people come from all over the, the United States and everything like that too, right? Our audience is global. In fact, we just had
0: some uh, overseas visitors in uh, within the last couple of weeks uh-huh. here and in- so we walking into the gallery and you're like, wait a minute, That I recognize that language. And, uh, yeah, we've had, we literally have visitors it's from so cool. all over the globe. And, uh, especially when the Studebaker club comes to town yeah. for their international meets and they mm-hmm. are truly international affairs. We'll wow. have, uh, fellows, uh, from Australia, uh-huh. New Zealand come up, uh, a couple of wow. our regulars from, uh, from great Britain and also, uh, you know, Germany, uh. I know there's Studebaker owners in Spain because my father, many years ago, sold a 1937 Studebaker dictator to a gentleman (laughs) in Spain, and it's just
1: it's a tremendous following. Next, I ask Andy who in Studebaker's past would he want to hang out with, and his answer just shows how much Studebaker grew right along with our city. If you could meet anybody from Studebaker's past, who would that be?
0: Oh, that's an excellent question. I'd have to say J.M. Studebaker. Because for what he saw within his company, uh-huh. you know, he remembers the blacksmith shop days. He yeah. saw the company transition to automobiles. Uh-huh. He was presiding over the world's largest wagon manufacturer, okay. out you know factory in the world. Right. Uh, and he was also plugged in, of course, to local and civic fair- yes. affairs as well. You know, mm-hmm. not he wasn't just building wagons and buggies the whole time, but just right. to hear, you know, his witness to so much of South Bend's local history, the yeah. growth from when he joined the brothers' firm in the late eighteen fifties up until oh. South Bend being you know a major league industrial uh-huh. city in the you know in the teens. It's just he was witness to so much and yeah. one of the wealthiest men in town had a had a grand home just yep. on on the east side overlooking mm-hmm. the river. Sunnyside sunny side, yep, sunny side. uh uh-huh. yeah I'd love to be able to that would be, to, be able to go walk uh, take a walk around town with him and then go maybe have a have a couple, have of ale with them side. or
1: something, <laughs> and uh, yeah, imagine that. He, so he saw, man, he saw go from just po duck little dirt roads and everything to more industry.
0: When he, yeah, when he he was not there for the founding. His brothers Henry and Clint okay. took care of that, but he had gone out west uh, to try and find his fortune in the okay. California Gold Rush. And just the tales from that alone, from the wagon train <laughs> oh. uh, heading out there to coming back, he took a ship from it was San Francisco. Around the Cape, wow! And then made his way back across the country, Uh you know, from the east. But you know, the stories he could tell, and I'm sure to sit there and hear every one of them.
1: Next, you'll find out why guys and gals who work in museums don't ever want to hear the words earthquake, tornado, hurricane, or even mudslide. What would be a museum curator's worst nightmare?
0: Natural disaster. Oh, I mean, we yeah. can, there's only so many things you control in this, mm-hmm. on God's green earth and the weather right, is not any of them. So As as we
1: were seeing on the way in here, my minivan's getting pelted with hail. <laughs> yeah,
0: I mean, we, we do the best we can for right. Right. things, but, uh, you mm-hmm. know, there's, you know, a tornado comes yep. through and anything like that, that's, I mean, we have disaster plans in place and we just really hope we never have to use them. Correct.
1: Knock on major league wood there, boy. I tell you what keep knocking on wood. Also keep knocking on wood that the partnership between South Bend and the Studebaker Museum stays strong. And also that kind-hearted folks keep donating. What's the main way that the Studebaker Museum receives uh, funding?
0: Well, our biggest partner is the city of South Bend. When the collection was given to the city back Mm -hmm. in 1966, they still... Uh, that is still part of you know, the city's property, so they—they uh, they are really our biggest partner in the museum business uh-huh. here. We also have any number of fundraising events. We have okay. museums endowment, mm-hmm. and of course, you know, standard things like admissions and museum store right. sales and things right. like that. But uh, you know, it's it's always any small museum will tell mm-hmm. you there's there's constantly the struggle to <laughs> you know you you want to you want to be on firm financial footing as possible, yes. and uh, we always you know certainly rely on the generosity of others. Mm-hmm. And, you know, awesome, more than happy to accept people's checks.
1: And I will be more than happy to put the website in the show notes and on Appreciate social that. media and all that stuff. Appreciate so. <laughs> that very much. Next, Andy and I talk about the inseparable combination. Of classic cars and donuts any any future events coming up anything uh coming up any uh like you just had the one a few weeks ago uh on the lawn here are there anything else coming up yeah we always have a number of things
0: on mm-hmm. the horizon we do our cars and coffee event the second okay. saturday uh of the month right down here at the museum okay. so folks can come down with their their vintage vehicles and uh-huh. uh, get a cup of joe and a crispy cream donut nice and- socialize amongst the other car faithful mm-hmm. it's really a neat event we've been pushing i think we even topped 100 cars at our last one
1: just on the second saturday of the just a month, on the yeah, just cars? On a saturday
0: that's neat saturday morning and uh, uh-huh. you know it's always a different you never know what's going to show up yeah
1: that's cool when's the next one
0: uh, that'll be coming up uh, first Saturday in, August, or I'm sorry, second Saturday in August, which is, I look at the my 12th, calendar here. The, I think. Yeah, August okay. 12th. Awesome. Yeah, starts at 8, wraps up at 10. Like I said, coffee and donuts and some,
1: you know, some good good classic car cars. Time. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be a Studebaker. It no, can we've be had any... uh, we had
0: everything. We had a, what was that? I think we had a Farmall B tractor show up one time. Oh, <laughs>
1: So just that's that's neat though. That's really cool. Yeah, I know. We we were happy to see it so, <laughs> liven up the whole place. That's cool. Next, we hit the museum floor at the lower level gallery. And you'll hear that I'm not too good at adding up minutes.
0: Our lower level gallery mm-hmm. tells a story from the Blacksmith shop days, the Studebaker family's early, you know, early years uh, okay. as blacksmiths, you know, learning the trade from their father, mm-hmm. up to the 1920s, uh, early 1930s. You kind of take it up to the receivership in 1933, but uh, you see the basis from horse-drawn vehicles, yeah. to the transition to automobiles. Uh, we have a number of special record-setting Studebakers. Uh, one of my favorites is the number six Studebaker Commander Roadster. It set a new record in 1928, traveling 25,000 miles in less than 23,000 minutes.
1: Holy moly. So
0: I'll put you 20, I'll put you on the spot here. Let's see how your mental math is. Okay. How
1: long is 23,000 minutes? How many days is that? Holy moly. 60 minutes in an hour, six times. Oh gosh, months. <laughs> it's a
0: little over <laughs> it's about 16, 17 days or so. Okay. Yeah. So
1: that particular car 1928
0: averaged 25 or uh, it averaged 65 miles an hour for 16 days straight. It was just wow. Studebaker secured a uh, a track in atlantic city new jersey uh-huh. they sent out three cars and they were told to complete twenty-five thousand miles as quickly as possible right the commander roadster the number six car it finished first and the clock was running the entire time for driver changes for refueling okay. for uh the biggest thing was the tires uh, tire technology wasn't as good right back nor then. was road
1: technology <laughs> and uh they
0: just yeah they circled the track and uh yeah, 65 miles an hour for 16 days, 16 plus days straight back in 1928. That's a really a testament to durability.
1: Hands down that is, wow. The Studebaker Museum is much more than just displays of a few pretty looking cars. It's also full of pictures and print that tells many more stories about the company. Next, you'll hear how South Bend's biggest celebrity was connected to Studebaker. You know, so many ties tie ins with local
0: history as well. Uh Newt Rockney, of course, the Notre Dame football right, coach, he was right. also a Studebaker employee beginning in nineteen twenty eight. He worked for the For sales.
1: advertisements or for
0: Yeah. Well, also he was kind of like a celebrity spokesperson, yeah, if you will. Yeah. In the offseason, he had, you know, more uh detailed responsibility. I huh. believe his title was like a vice president of something really? something. But he would go out and represent Studebaker at trade shows and industry functions. Wow. And Uh, In 1932, Studebaker introduced a new car called the Rockne, named after the coach who unfortunately Mm -hmm. died in a plane crash in March of 1931. Yeah, But uh, who knows? Maybe there's talks he was thinking about leaving coaching to actually join the automobile business. Who knows how that would have played out.
1: Next, Andy describes what he said are some people's favorite exhibit. And when you're standing next to this exhibit, you can definitely feel the historical significance all right well when we were inside your office talking you mentioned some of the presidential carriages man and we are standing in front of wow about five of them right now yeah the world's
0: largest collection of presidential carriages uh the studebaker car- studebaker bill carriages are the mckinley phaeton and president harrison's brome okay uh the non-studebakers but still no less important to our telling this, uh right. presidential carriage story uh the President Lincoln's Baroche, he took to Ford's Theater the night of his assassination. Uh, the Landau that Gr- President Grant used during his term in office. And uh, even though we realize uh, the Marquette Lafayette was not a president, but still uh, very important in the formation of our country. And yeah. in the Revolutionary War, we felt his carriage, the oldest piece in our collection, dating back to 1824, deserves a place uh, wow. on the floor with the rest of them.
1: So his is the oldest piece here?
0: Yeah, that's our oldest, uh, oldest piece in the collection.
1: Now, I'm sure that most folks, when they think of Studebaker, they think of automobiles. But the automobile plant wasn't built in South Bend until the 1920s. Prior to that, Studebaker in South Bend was big in the horse and buggy game.
0: And you you think of the horse and buggy days, but you know, Studebaker built over 400 different styles of horse-drawn equipment, from wow. uh, a far, the basic farm wagon that farmers mm-hmm. would use in the fields to... Uh, we have a an extension front station wagon, and that was the antecedent of the modern day family okay. truckster station wagon. Yeah. But at that time, it meant taking people from the train station. Uh, uh it's got room for luggage, and uh, I see for okay. transit, you know folks to the hotel or their like homes. a shuttle, literally. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It's, yeah, very much like the courtesy shuttle yeah. at the you know, the <laughs> DoubleTree downtown. <laughs> Uh, construction wagons. We have our dump wagon here as well, the forerunner of the modern day dump truck. Uh, Sleighs. You know, we often we have fun around the holidays saying Santa drives a Studebaker. Who's to say he doesn't? <laughs> you
1: know. Well, he does, especially the the South Bend Santa. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then, of course, you know the little buggies, uh, the one uh, two passenger buggies. You know, the people like you and me were probably going to the Studebaker showroom to buy. Next, Andy describes the current feature exhibit so our current feature exhibit is mid-century master the designs of Brooks stevens okay and brooke stevens was an industrial designer uh just as he that field was gaining a foothold in the 30s and 40s okay that's when he was coming of age and really saw it, he thought his future lay in in design work and uh-huh he really became one of the important players in what we call now mid-century modern okay but you know things as diverse as the oscar meyer Mobile we have an Evergreen outboard motor mm-hmm. Harley Davidson Hydroglide from 1949 his uh-huh. agency did Uh, Some design work for that. And also his automotive works, uh, the Willys Overland Jeepster from right after
1: World War II. classic Jeep girl there.
0: And he had some uh, other one-off designs, too. The Paxton Phoenix, uh, a -a one-of-a-kind car. You're not going to see one anywhere else because this is the only one. (laughs) That is (laughs) (laughs) one-of-a-kind. And he was retained by Studebaker in the uh, early 1960s to help redesign some of their products. And the 1962 line, the Gran Turismo Hawk, the restyled Larks. Up through the 1964 models came off of the drawing boards from the guys at Brooke Stevens Associates.
1: Next, we're standing in the area that houses post-World War II cars, and Andy describes how they are Studebaker's most iconic.
0: But Studebaker's post-war designs are really, uh, they're most iconic. We mentioned the bullet mm-hmm. Nose, of mm-hmm. the Avanti, uh, the 53 Starliner. These are hallmarks of yeah. automotive design and still resonate very strong with people today i mean with yep. today's safety standards mm-hmm. and other requirements you, designers don't quite have the freedom they did back in the 50s I see, and I don't see. get me wrong uh, you know i'm all for mm-hmm. having a safe automobile of and, course you know our cars are so much better uh, than they were before but still this we we lost a bit of just mm-hmm. the style and what you could do to make a car distinct from another
1: automobile There's this big, steel-looking car at the museum, and turns out that that was made by another one of South Bend's early industrialists. He goes into that next, and then describes other one-of-a-kind cars that the museum displays. We have several one-of-a-kind vehicles as well, aside
0: from the Stevens prototypes we Uh just mentioned. The Bendix car, the only automobile to bear uh, the Bendix name, and it's even... Really? Uh, they created a f- uh, fictitious corporation, the Steel Wheel Corporation, to manufacture this automobile. It was, Studebaker created a fictitious... Bendix did. Oh, actually, Bendix Actually, this did. was produced by Bendix. Okay. Uh, really to showcase all the products Bendix made for the auto industry. I see. And it was just the one. It languished around <laughs> in various Bendix buildings and actually came to us uh, just after the museo- museum opened in 2005. Uh, the prototype 1947 Studebaker Champion Deluxe Station Wagon, uh-huh. nicknamed the Woody for obvious yeah. reasons. Uh-huh. Uh, they made only one. You're looking at it right there. Uh, the Packard Predictor, the show car for the 1956 Auto Show circuit. Uh, that was many consider that to be the last Packard as the company was really phasing out by that time. Okay, but again, a one-off creation, hand built by the folks over at Gia Coachworks in Italy, and. Again, a miracle that these all survived to the present wow, day. There's so yes. many times one-offs. the show cars, when they were done with them, they would just get scuttled and scrapped, but the predictor survived, and we're so happy it did.
1: One of my favorite vehicles there is the South Bend Fire Department fire truck. Next, Andy talks about how Studebaker used to produce vehicles like this. I see you have the South Bend Fire Department fire truck there. That's neat.
0: Yeah, that's uh, another Another aspect of Studebaker history, their commercial vehicle line was, you know, very strong for a lot uh-huh. of years and they produced chassis for fire trucks. And, uh, that actually that was sold into St. Joe, Michigan, uh, and went through another private hands. But the folks at St. Joseph County or the South Bend Fire Department, their firefighters union was, uh, really instrumental in helping us get the restoration. Aww. So we
1: thought we should recognize their contribution. Yeah, that's cool. It. So delivery. that wasn't necessarily here in South Bend, but it's just...
0: Yeah, yeah, no, that was not an actual yeah. South Bend truck, although they had some that were very similar Similar.
1: Police cars, too, I think, Studebaker. Yeah, yeah, we
0: have a Studebaker police car not on display right, right. now, but a uh, number of those. We have the very last Studebaker automobiles as well, the last regular production South Bend car, a 1964 Daytona hardtop, and the last Studebaker ever, a 1966 Cruiser, which came off the line St. Paddy's Day, 1966.
1: I'm a lifelong fan of Bonnie Doon's mint chip ice cream. My Grandpa Geyer used to pile my cousins and us in the car in the early to mid 1980s and take us there. As long as we didn't get any of that on his seats. But at the Studebaker Museum, they also pay homage to Bonnie Dunes as well. And then of course we got the old Bonnie Doon's uh, South Bend icon, a little uh, uh, presentation there with a the drive up. Yeah, we wanted to
0: Really, kind of give it some local flavor. And yeah. ev- you know, every town had its little drive in restaurants. Uh-huh. And uh, in my hometown in Wisconsin, it was Lates Drive In. And okay. still there to this day. Uh, best hamburgers I've ever had. <laughs> and of course, in South Bend, we had Bonnie Dune. Mm-hmm. And a new arrival actually was the Bonnie Dune Special and Midget Racer from the nineteen late 1940s. Wow. As this form of racing, it's very inexpensive to go racing in this form, but they uh-huh. used. Uh, the Studebaker Champion 6 engine was a very popular power plant. Okay. They were cheap, they could rev, and they held together. Okay. And they powered the Midget Racers, the Bonnie Dune Special raced around South Bend. This car. Uh, <laughs> that
1: pulled. thing raced around South Bend, huh? Yeah.
0: Yeah. The, uh, in fact, the track down at Playland Park. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Really? That would race down there. It actually, the car was very successful. Wow. Um, as it often happens, they kept rebuilding car. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, The guys restored this car. They pulled it out of a junkyard in Elkhart, they told me. No way. Restored in the 80s. It was in private hands, and we were just able to reacquire that back uh, about a year and a half half ago.
1: That's some history there. I mean, just, you know, connecting to the Playland here in South Bend, Mm -hmm. the Bonny Dunes. I mean, that is definitely, that's all South Bend right there. That is neat. That is cool. Now, there are three floors to the Studebaker Museum. Next, we take a trip to the basement, which also has vehicles on display. Andy talks about some of the military connections that Studebaker had. All right, so now we are downstairs in the basement. You want to talk about this area yeah, down here? The,
0: this is our visible storage areas. we've have our vehicles that are not on interpreted display. And uh-huh. it's, you know, we can only display so many things at one time. And honestly, right. we we you gotta change it up so people, you know, can come yeah. back and see something new. And we also have our military exhibits down okay. in the basement. People can learn about Studebaker's military history. Their first uh, the first use of Studebaker vehicles in, mm-hmm. in armed conflict was the Mormon War in eighteen fifty-seven. Not <laughs> not one of the not one one of the more <laughs> No, not one of
1: the more common wars yeah, that we've Yeah, more, we more well
0: known skirmishes, but uh, at that time Studebaker was still pretty small potatoes so the Milburn okay. Company in Mishawaka uh, had had a contract to supply the United States Army. They couldn't okay. quite do it, so they sublet some work to the Studebakers, who uh-huh. were more than happy to pitch in. And wow. Studebaker also supplied some wagons for the Civil War and really every armed conflict from there up until Vietnam. Studebaker was producing military equipment of one kind or another. That's nuts. And you see a lot of World War One era vehicles. Uh, you know, World War One was still very much fought with horse drawn mm-hmm. equipment, but then uh, mechanized equipment came for World War Two. Studebaker was building. Army trucks, mm. uh, B-17 airplane engines, the Wright Cyclone R-1820 built under license, and also the Weasel, which was a Studebaker exclusive, a tracked
1: vehicle uh-huh. that could, could go where the Jeep couldn't. And, uh, yes. They built did about, both, right? Water and Yeah, they had the land. amphibious models. And, Not many people equate the Muppets with Studebaker. But in 1979, that changed then right there is the 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 world famous muppet car right indeed we are delighted to have the the muppet car
0: 1951 commander that Uh was in 1979 some muppet movie and they had they had two cars for the filming and this particular car was the one they used to show Fozzie and kermit driving so it was actually modified so it could be driven from the trunk (laughs)
1: <laughs> you you can see have the steering wheel. The there, steering yeah. and
0: controls back there. They shot a camera out the front feeding uh-huh. a monitor in the trunk so the guy could see where he was going. And I can only imagine that was incredibly unpleasant. But yes. <laughs> but you would, you would never know it. When yeah, We're delighted to have the Muppet car here. And that's you know a, a vehicle that transcends Studebay. I mean, we're up in the yes. 70s. We're you know almost 20 years past South Bend shutdown. But you know again, Studebay is right. once again at the forefront.
1: And we're just looking for folks to help
0: restore it too, right? Indeed. I think we still have the GoFundMe page on there. We've okay. Really, they can check it, check us out there. And uh, Sounds good. If they want to send us a check, we won't turn that down either.
1: Nope. Next, we wrap up our jaunt around the museum and talk about something that you really have to see to believe.
0: See, another one of our feature exhibits going on right now okay. is the photography of Anthony Schmidt. Uh, uh-huh. Anthony Schmidt is a young man who... Uh, on the Asperger's Autism Spectrum. Okay. He's really found a passion for photography. Wow. And everything you see as part of the exhibit is a forced perspective photography. These are all models set against actual backgrounds. And when we were hanging this exhibit... The these are up, model cars these are that these model pictures cars. are taken of? Uh, it's truly amazing. And we see some of the, you know, kind of behind the curtain there, how he actually sets us up with these elaborate wow. dioramas... Uh, pick a one we're looking at here is over like a an ocean scene but he's got a little tabletop with you know sand to replicate a beach and
1: yeah uh, wow. it's it's
0: absolutely fascinating and uh you know never fails to
1: <laughs> find myself
0: <laughs> stopping staring at this every time I come to no I'm, I'm
1: dead serious folks like you have to see this there are pictures that look like real cars and real beach scenes and wood scenes and they are models that's amazing
0: Yeah, and that's going to be going on. In fact, uh, Anthony and his mother are going to be coming for a program here at the museum. I believe that's on August 4th, and as soon as curator Kyle comes out of his office here, I'm going to... Hey, Kyle, tell us about the Anthony Schmidt uh, program coming up on, on August 4th. It is on August 4th, isn't it? August 4th, I believe, what's that, a Friday. Um, so we'll, we'll be hosting Anthony and his mother here. Um, we're really excited. It's a, a live in-person uh, program. He'll talk about his work, his progress. Okay. We have an um, employee from Logan Center talking about what their work. They'll be in conversation with nice. Anthony. It's going to be a really terrific program. Um, you know, If you're in South Bend or even around South Bend uh, that day, please come by. Tickets are, I think, on sale now. What time is this? 5.30, doors open. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Kyle Sater, everybody. Curator, Studebaker National Museum.
1: (laughs) Definitely check that out, folks. Friday, August 4th at 5 o'clock. And if you can't make it then, you still need to check out Anthony's photography on display. I mean, it is truly amazing that what you see are models and not real life. The young man definitely has a passion and a talent. We talk about that next. How did how did you discuss how did Anthony Schmidt hook up with Studebaker? Like, how does well, that happen?
0: He, he he has a passion for he has a passion for Studebakers as well. He actually owns a 1960 Hawk. The kid does? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> nice. The Hawk is around here somewhere in one uh-huh. of the pictures, but yeah, he Uh, His stuff is really, if you just Google Anthony Schmidt photography, I mean, it just pops up. I mean, his stuff was getting tremendous amounts of coverage. Uh We saw the Studebaker tie. It was just a natural fit. So uh, a few phone calls and a couple Zoom meetings. And, you know, we were able to put this together and just delighted to, to to be able
1: to feature this. That's neat. That is so cool. We wrap up our conversation with me asking Andy why folks should come to the Studebaker Museum. Hey, so why should why should folks come on down to the Studebaker Museum?
0: Well, it's you know, why shouldn't they come down to the Studebaker National Darn right. Museum? There's so many things uh, to offer down here. We mm-hmm. talked about the Super Service Center for the young people. You mm-hmm. can trace the history of transportation through the products of mm-hmm. the Studebaker Corporation and its and its ancestors uh, yep. from two men in a blacksmith shop to the world's leader in horse-drawn transportation to mm-hmm. the transition to automobiles. And even the electric cars that are all the rage today, mm-hmm. Studebaker was building electrics beginning in 1902. Wow! Uh, you know some of some of this country's most uh, stylish automobiles came out the doors of the Studebaker Corporation, mm-hmm. and all of this from you know company right here in South Bend, Indiana. It's something we're you know should be tremendously proud of. You know, a absolutely city, a city of industry, a city yes. that, uh, and it's also it's also a story of res- resiliency mm-hmm. because Studebaker. Could have folded at any number of times, whether okay. it's the demise of their original market, the horse-drawn mm-hmm. vehicle, to they barely survived the uh, Great Depression. Okay. They entered receivership in 1933. Mm-hmm. They had a number of brushes with insolvency you know, between those times as well, but they right. came back time after time. And, you know, yes, it's a shame that Studebaker closed right. when they did, but the company had a great run of over 100 years yeah. in the business, which, mm-hmm. now there's not many names that can... No. Hang in there for a century with mm. with those things thrown at them. So it's that's a true. true lesson, and also you that's know true. not just Studebaker, but the lesson of a city the mm. the Rust Belt of industrial cities in America. Mm-hmm. It's a story many times over. You can take out the name South Bend and insert anything from anything else, Detroit, Youngstown, yes. Ohio, uh-huh. anything you care to name. But you know South Bend didn't just shrug their shoulders yes. and you know accept defeat. They rallied. They mm-hmm. came around by you know, just a couple of years after Studebaker closed the South Bend plant, the unemployment rate in South Bend was back below pre-closing levels. Really? You know, the, so you say that the recovery was quick. The healing would take much longer. I see. Yeah. And, but again, you know, South Bend rebounded. They, uh-huh. they rolled up their sleeves. They got to it. They, mm-hmm. you know, it was certainly a difficult time, but mm-hmm. you know, you look at where we are in 2023, uh, and the future is bright. Yeah. The,
1: Thank you for listening to another episode of Round the Bend Now and Then. I hope that the last 40 minutes or so convinced you why you should visit the Studebaker Museum. I want to thank those at the Studebaker Museum for the opportunity to come and spend time there and learn more about the museum. A special thanks to Andy Beckman. Andy, thank you so much for your time and knowledge. I learned a ton. Your passion shines as you talk about the museum and Studebaker. As always, please be sure to share the podcast with those that you think would like it. Follow us on all the social media channels, Twitter, at Roundthebend Pod, Facebook, Round the Bend now and Then. Join us again next time as we learn more about South Bend and Mishawakas now and then.